Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, October 1st. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We ask the mayor to reflect on the city's participation in the first ever National Day for Truth and Reconciliation and get his thoughts on what needs to be done to battle COVID-19 as numbers continue to trend very high in the province. The mayor's tenure is coming to a close with the municipal election just over two weeks away. Have you done your homework ahead of heading to the polls? We hear details on a new website created by the Calgary Public Public Library aimed at empowering Calgarians to make an informed vote on October 18th. Next, we head stateside to catch up with Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Jackson brings us details on a disturbing trend in the U.S., a record increase in murder rates over the past year. And finally, we're going to take a look at the challenges being faced by businesses during this pandemic when it comes to staffing and the effect that those shortages are going to have on the Canadian economy. We hear the results of a new study from the Business Development Bank of Canada. Mornings with Sudiel and Andrew Schultz and only a, a short time. I, I think we're measuring in weeks now that he has left in office. We're happy once again to be joined by Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. 24 days. Okay. I was, we <laughs> not were, that I'm telling. I knew you would know right <laughs> we were, away. We were wanting. So it's but basically. Just a couple weeks to the election. Yeah. yeah a, a few weeks. Uh, it, well, uh, until the election. And I, so you're out the week after, it looks like. Well, we'll have to, before we put a cap on it, ask you where we'll see you next, what you want to do. And you'll tell uh, us and, uh, all the exa- details. Every single detail. Yeah. But before we get there, I was thinking to start a morning radio show. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some extra chairs here if COVID yeah, we do. is over. <laughs> That would be that would be a lot of fun to have you in in person. Mm-hmm. What, what's that like? We don't even remember. Um, but let let let's unpack yesterday because we just uh, put a cap on the first National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. Um, you know, let's let's get your thoughts on, on how it went and and how much further we have to go as a city when it comes to looking at these sorts of things. You know, I had a I had a good day yesterday. It was it was a really meaningful day for me, uh, including doing the city of Calgary's official commemoration ceremony that we did at Fort Calgary. And live streamed, and people can still see that, uh, the recording of that. It was a really nice thing. And I'm glad to have done it. But my message really was that it's not just a day for reflection, but it's also a day to commit ourselves to action. And ultimately, you know, we had a lot of people's hearts open to the issue of reconciliation when the remains of those 215 children were found in Kamloops. And some of us who've been working on this for a long time may have felt a little bit hard at that point, saying, you know, how, how are people just figuring this out now? We've always known about this. But that's the wrong way to think about it, because a broken heart is also an open heart. And that's really our opportunity now to commit ourselves to real action now that we know the uncomfortable truth. And the one thing that I was reminding folks of is when I had the chance to bear witness uh, at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, The government of Alberta was also there back in 2015, and they made a promise that day. The then government made a promise that day. And the promise was that kids in every single grade would learn about residential schools Mm. and would learn about reconciliation. And so the one political thing I said yesterday is don't let the provincial government break that promise, as they've done with this proposed new curriculum. Uh, it's important that kids know this stuff and they know it from a truly Canadian lens, not sort of a cut-and-paste curriculum from the U.S. Agree. 
agree very much so. And, you know, on the topic of racism, um, you know, we look towards the municipal election. Is this something we need to hold our candidates accountable to? Because it's not something that we're hearing from m- most of them, if any, really, at this point. Do we need to keep pushing that and talking about that and making that a hot button issue? Absolutely. You know, I've said that there we need to hold our candidates to account on five items, which is COVID and the public health pandemic, the mental health and addictions crisis, the economic crisis, the environmental crisis, and the equity crisis, which is around moving towards anti-racism and moving towards um, true reconciliation. Those are really, I think, the core things that are facing the city now, and people will put them in different orders, but we have to see all five of them. And, you know, there are candidates running. Uh, For example, a guy who's running in Ward 12, Craig Chandler, who has a very long history of not particularly anti-racist statements, if that's a polite way of saying Mm -hmm. it. Um, And in fact, you know, I feel like I pick on Councillor Farkas a lot, but if he wants to lead, he's got to lead. And he certainly has been, at best, very mixed on these issues. Uh, You know, his desire to protect the police at all costs has led him to say a lot of things that imply that there's not racism in Calgary, and that is challenging. I'm wondering, uh, you know, uh, if, if we look ahead to for the 4th, this Monday, you can do your advanced vote. How does the mayor vote? Uh, do, you have, do you have a process? Do you like to do the advanced? Do you like to go the day of? Um, I used to like to do the advanced to try and encourage people to do the advanced just for convenience sake, but I haven't decided yet. So I've been watching, uh, I've been watching the mayoral forums, um, and it's a bit torturous because I just yell at the screen going, no, that's not true. Um, and so at some point, I'll make a decision. But I would encourage everybody, you should have received your Elections Calgary mailer, mailers by now. Go and seek out the platforms. The mayoral candidates are finally releasing their platforms very late in the game. And so I've been combing through those. There's some good things. There's some ridiculous things. You know, ask hard questions about, is it possible to freeze your taxes for four years while investing heavily in the largest department, which is the police? The answer is no, it is not possible. Um, But we really do need to look through those and make a decision and then make a plan of when and how you want to vote. And the thing I always encourage people to do is bring your kids so that they can start getting into the habit of seeing how important voting is. Mm-hmm. And we were actually talking to the folks at the library earlier, Mayor. Uh, planmyvote.ca is a platform a that, yeah, that they've put together to try and help us learn and understand the platforms and the process on Election Day. Hey, can we ask you to hang over for a couple of minutes? We'd like to talk COVID for a bit if we could. Absolutely. Uh, once again with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Thanks for sticking around with us, Mr. Mayor. We appreciate it. Happy to be here. Got a question for you. Earlier this week, we uh, spoke with uh, Dr. Paul Boucher, uh, president of the Alberta Medical Association, and he had indicated to us that in his belief, vaccines are not enough to uh, do what we need to get done to bring the numbers down in our province at this point. So I'm wondering, I'm just going to you know, give you the reins, give you the keys right now. What would you do to bring numbers down if it was your decision 100% in the province? Uh, keeping in mind, because we get a lot of texts going, we don't need another lockdown. We've never had a full-on lockdown We've here. We've never had a lockdown, so, as I keep reminding yeah, people, mm-hmm. but so yes. What, what, what do we need to do? Well, I am actually very reluctant uh, to go in the way of sh- shutting down businesses at this point, um, because I think that what we're seeing is the fourth wave. I mean, this should never have happened. Uh, this was entirely avoidable. But the situation we're in right now is that the fourth wave is cresting, I hope, 
and we're in a situation where there's not a lot we can do to preserve the healthcare system now. The next few weeks are going to be terrible, regardless of what happens, because there's a lag between when people get infected and when they get into the hospital. And so, you know, the province should have mandated vaccine passports everywhere in the province. They should be doing much more on getting people vaccinated rather than a new education campaign. Uh, You know, they need to be grappling with this one-on-one, you know, going to places where people are not vaccinated. City of Calgary has high vaccination rates compared to the rest of the province, and we're doing it anyway. Uh, And then maybe some common sense restrictions on really high-risk activities would make sense right now. If the province were to announce a circuit breaker, you know, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to it, but I wonder if it's too little too late at this point. And I'm just very sympathetic for parents who have to deal with their kids in and out of school. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the smart things they did last year was they moved the junior and senior high schools online so that parents didn't really have to worry about childcare, but at least we were slowing down transmission in that group. So there are certain things you can do that aren't going to have a massive impact uh, on people's businesses and lives, but the province has been reluctant to do any of them. As I keep saying, It's like they throw stuff at the wall and try and pick the least impactful things, and that doesn't work when you're in a crisis. Mayor, to end things on a little bit of a lighter note this morning, we've been talking about the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die, released in Europe today. We'll see it here in Calgary next week. Your favorite James Bond actor, who is the best Bond? Oh, I like Daniel Craig. I think he is an interesting actor. Uh, has an interesting take on the character, but, you know, it's got to be Sean Connery, I think, in the long term. But I will remind everybody that if you're ready to go to a movie, the Calgary International Film Festival is on, and I have not been yet, so that's my plan for the weekend. Perfect. Sif, it is. All right, we'll mark you down for uh, uh, a Sean Connery fan, and uh, it's sifcalgary.ca, by the way, if anybody wants to check out the Calgary International Film Festival lineup. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Have a great weekend. Thank you all. Have a safe weekend, everyone. Look after one another. Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Well, the Calgary Public Library, in partnership with Elections Canada, has created a great tool to help all of us Calgarians in casting our vote for the 2021 municipal election. It's coming up in just about two weeks' time. Joining us with details this morning, Mike Atkinson, Service Design Lead at the Calgary Public Library. Morning, Mike. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. Okay, tell us a little bit about this Plan My Vote tool. What is it? How does it work? Yeah, uh, if you're above the age of 18 and eligible to vote in uh, the upcoming municipal election, you can head over to planmyvote.ca. And uh, with a couple quick questions, four little questions, your address, uh, what day you're going to vote, what ID you're going to bring, you build out a little bit of a plan, a little commitment to yourself about when and where you're going to show up to the polls. And uh, we're finding that this is a, a great way for people to sort of make that commitment, especially first-time voters. Uh, something like this can really get them over the humps of what they don't know to expect when they show up to the polls. And you folks, I'll tell you what, uh, Mike, this must have been a lot of work. If you can tell us about how it came together as far as the team, we have... 900 male to candidates. No, we have so many male candidates. And, and as a result, a lot of these, well, if, if, if councillors have moved on or have thrown their hat into the mayor race, so many new faces. Mm-hmm. So tell us about how much work went into to getting this together and doing uh, the gathering of the information. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a, a good point about how 
complex this election is. And it's really why we thought this is something that where we could maybe come to the table and try and help voters get to the polls. Because there is, there's a lot going on. You've got your mayoral election, your councillor, your school trustees, Senate elections, the three referendums. There's a lot being posed to voters. And so we're thinking, are there ways we can make this a little bit simpler? So we partnered up with Elections Calgary. We wanted to make sure that the information is coming direct from the source, uh, that we're giving voters exactly like true and correct information. And then at the end of the plan, we actually link people over to Elections Calgary so they can dive deeper into which candidates they want to vote for, how they want to vote for uh, the referendums, those kinds of things. Super important. So the options, the candidates, the candidate platforms themselves, it's all online, Mike, at planmyvote.ca. It's a great tool. Thank you so much for your time and explaining it to us. Absolutely. Have a great morning. You too. Mike Atkinson is the service design lead at the Calgary Public Library. Again, planmyvote.ca. Everything's there for you. There's no excuse not to vote and not to be, you know, well aware of who you should be voting for. Yeah, got to got to do some studying. Roll up those sleeves. Each and every Friday, we have the opportunity to catch up with Global News Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco with an incredible stat for us this morning that kind of surprised me. A good morning to you, Jackson. Good morning and happy Friday. Well, let's look at this. We, we, we will talk some COVID numbers. Those numbers have been quite shocking. We'll see where we're at in the U.S. this week. But we're hearing record murder rates in the USA in 2020. What, what's happening with that? Yeah, this is a flashback to last year's statistics that have been compiled by the FBI, and they show about a 30% increase in homicides in 2020, nearly 5,000 murders in this country last year. Uh, you know, all sort of, all sorts of factors being, uh, looked at and investigated as part of this between, uh, the pandemic, uh, you know, people losing their jobs, and of course, the conflict between police and many communities in this country, and sort of the way, uh, the, the changes in the way policing was carried out, uh, through 2020 as, as mass protests unfolded. So really, it's something that's being looked at. I think if there's a positive bit of news in all this, despite the, the the size of that increase, the overall murder rate is still far lower per capita than it was at its peak in the 1970s. Uh, but certainly something that's concerning, reversing a lot of gains that have been made in recent years. And Jackson, is it something that, for example, President Biden is addressing? Is anything going to be done? Are they talking about it? You know, uh, as is always the case, uh, things like gun control are just really not on the agenda here. And it, it sort of seems like that is a, a lost issue at this point. In fact, gun sales have also surged throughout the pandemic uh, and firearms were responsible for uh, uh, about 75 percent of those homicides. So uh, I think it's something that has been loosely talked about. But really, police reform has been the, the sort of bigger piece of the agenda here. Are we talking across the entire nation? Or are there some areas that are more so hot spots, uh, some states? No, uh, we are talking uh, uh, across the entire country. And, uh, you know, I think it's really been focused on big cities that are sort of seeing it most drastically. Places like Philadelphia, here in Washington, D.C., New York City. They're all really sort of seeing this resurgence in violent crime. Uh, speaking of hot spots, let's talk, let's talk COVID numbers and, and how the situation is in the U.S. right now. Yeah, I think the good news is that things are actually starting to improve. The number of sort of overall cases week to week is down about 30% now. That still means uh, roughly 110,000 cases being reported every single day. Uh, and deaths may have finally plateaued, but we're still talking about 2,000 uh, you know deaths every single day. The U.S. has now surpassed 700,000 deaths from COVID-19 in this pandemic. It really is a tragedy. And uh, there are certainly predictions that uh, uh, despite the fact that things may be leveling off, that we're still going to see a, a ridiculously high level of death and infection uh, in a country that pioneered the vaccines. 
I'm wondering, you know, some of the projections, I, I go to worldometer.com and search coronavirus USA. Some of them are saying close to perhaps 800,000 deaths as you move into 2022. I'm wondering, A, what you see as, and have seen as some of the projections, and B, the vaccine hesitancy. Is that still an issue? Yeah, you know, on the projections, I think there continues to be a wide range and a lot of uncertainty, but I think there's sort of an assumption that things will pick up or plateau again heading into the winter as people tend to move indoors. Uh, in terms of vaccine hesitancy, uh, you know, one thing that has proven incredibly effective are these vaccine mandates. Uh, look no further than United Airlines, which told it, uh, told all of its employees they had to be vaccinated. And people may seize on the fact that 600 people are losing their jobs for refusing to get vaccinated. But what that actually means is 99.5% of employees chose to get vaccinated. And wow. that is generally where this is rolling, uh, how this is going uh, with companies and institutions and governments that are instituting vaccine mandates is that there was very much widespread acceptance. And on that note, uh, this coming down this morning, Jackson, I'm sure you've seen it that uh, Merck touting a potential new weapon in the fight against COVID. This is great news. Yeah, this uh, sounds like it's an antiviral treatment, uh, has about 50% uh, improvement in terms of keeping people out of the hospital, for example, and reducing the severity of symptoms. So I think things like that give us optimism that uh, even if the virus isn't going away, that it's going to become more manageable, mm-hmm. maybe a cold or a bad flu. Let's talk about, you know, as far as getting closer to the holiday season, it seems like it's full steam ahead. Are we seeing any protocols or is any suggestion? Because I know that, you know, here we still have restrictions and I'm not sure if you're following the news about, you know, southern Alberta and, and Alberta as a whole. We got to do something to, to bring these numbers down. But are, is there any sort of concern or framework around large gatherings? Because what we see here for the images are sports stadiums packed. Yeah, I think this is what is so remarkable and in some ways kind of jarring is that even the most liberal cities and states in the United States are not talking about re-implementing restrictions on businesses. There are no capacity restrictions. There are no limits on crowd sizes. Uh, There might be mask mandates. But that's it. So uh, even as places have struggled with hospital capacity and, uh, you know, a surge in deaths, there is really no move back toward the era of restrictions here. And, you know, think of that what you uh, what you may. But I think the general thought is that there's simply no appetite for it at this point uh, amongst the general public. And the vaccines are available if you've chosen not to get vaccinated at this point. You are doing these things at your own risk. Big birthday in the U.S. today, Jackson. Jimmy Carter, 97 years wow. young today. Yeah. Big celebration, isn't it? Is everybody <laughs> celebrating? Is there a giant cake? You know, not that. No, I think he's pretty much retreated to private life at this point. Yeah. But uh, uh, pretty remarkable person. And yeah. uh, just think about his work with Habitat for Humanity. Uh, in fact, in the neighborhood I live in, in D.C., there are houses that were built by Jimmy Carter. Oh, that wow. is really an incredible part of his legacy. Mm-hmm. From one president to another, President Joe Biden. And it's interesting because... It seemed like over the past few weeks that the love affair is over and the ratings aren't exactly where they were from the get-go. How is he trending as far as favorability at this point? Yeah, he is officially underwater at this point, which means that uh, more people disapprove than approve. Uh, A few things have really hurt him here, the Afghanistan withdrawal, but also his handling of the COVID pandemic. And of course, the irony there is that he has been pushing vaccine mandates and vaccination. And it's his Republican opponents who are essentially encouraging people uh, perhaps not to get vaccinated or to consider options other than vaccination that have led to the situation where things are dire and Biden is taking the blame for that. Uh, So uh, it's certainly not a good time in the White House. A lot of his agenda seems to be in peril at the moment in terms of passing, you know, his multi-trillion dollar infrastructure plan as as well. That kind of hangs in the balance at this moment. Uh, So certainly I think the White House is kind of in damage control mode at this point, which Mm -hmm. is perhaps not a place they thought they would be, uh, you know, seven months in. But here we are. As always, happy Friday to you. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us with a great update.
Thank you. Take Appreciate care. it. You too. That's Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. Do you think growing up, and I remember I'm of a certain age, men of a certain age. Well, you're this, of a certain age as well, Sue. Remember, How dare you? <laughs> Jimmy Carter is one of these guys, and I'm wondering, and, and Jackson addressed addressed it, if it's he's just uh, kind of not involved uh, in because he's he's such an older gentleman mm-hmm. that they don't remember. But here's a guy who a could do nothing wrong, in my opinion, outside looking in, and b has like done nothing but give back for the past like 25, 30, 40 years. And he literally, you still see him. And he's yeah, 97 today. You still see him on the site of Habitat for Humanity Homes, like swinging a hammer. Legendary. He really is. So he deserves a pretty quiet birthday. And I hope he gets a cake at least. Yeah, I, w- I would hope so. And the, the murder rates, and I was shocked to hear that, you know, as high as they are, the 70s was even even more so an issue in the USA. Yeah, uh, it makes you feel good. Uh, we don't talk to to Jackson or or Reggie down south to feel good about ourselves, but you got to look at not only their numbers. And again, the estimate I saw has about seven hundred eighty-seven thousand deaths by January. That's Oof. a projection, folks. Wow. But still, right now, over seven hundred thousand deaths. Uh, it's got to make you feel good to live where we live when you hear about those murder numbers and uh, the COVID cases. Still, very much an issue when it comes to deaths down south. A new report from the Business Development Bank of Canada has found that businesses right across the country are struggling to meet their staffing needs. With a deeper look into the study's findings, we're joined this morning by Pierre Clairoux, Chief Economist for the Business Development Bank of Canada. Good morning, Pierre. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's begin with the, the sort of the study itself. What were you looking for? What were the parameters? Well, we um, interviewed more than 1,200 businesses across the country to see what are they doing to respond to this need of workers and what are the best practices across the country? Can you tell us and explain to us, Pierre, the impact it makes when businesses are not able to hire the people that they need? Well, already what we see is uh, it's, slowing ground, it's slowing down their growth. So many businesses are forced to refuse new clients. They refuse contracts. They are They have a Difficult time to deliver the contract they already have. Some businesses, like for example, some restaurants are closed part of the week because it just cannot find enough people. Pierre, did you look into why there's a scarcity of applicants or people applying or workers wanting to go to work? Is, does it have to do with programs like CERB that you know got us through this pandemic? Well, the, the most important uh, factor is uh, the fact that our population is aging. Um, more and more Canadians are over 65 now. We are at 18% across the country. So a lot of uh, Canadians are retiring. And this is a new phenomenon. We used to have a young uh, population in Canada. We used to have a lot of young people entering the workforce. But, of course, the baby boomers are getting older, and millions of them are going to retire in the next five years. So that's the that's really... These are different issues related to the pandemic, but the main issue is the fact that we're getting older. Talking with Pierre Clairoux, Chief Economist for the Business Development Bank of Canada. And I'm wondering, Pierre, is this just a finding employees or is retention an issue as we move deeper into the pandemic? Well, it's both because as uh, there's a lot of opportunities, not a lot, a lot of people. So a lot of people are looking for better opportunities. For example, uh, we realized during the pandemic that 20% of Canadians lost their job. They moved to another sector, to another sector where maybe uh, it's easier to work or you don't have to work on weekends. Uh, truck drivers are a good example of that. It's very hard to find a truck driver because a lot of them move to another sector 
where it's, uh, it's less demanding on the family. Pierre, what can businesses do then if they're struggling and having trouble hiring but keeping workers? Is, is there something they can be done to you know, attract applicants? Did you dig into that? Yeah, we, we look at the best practices in Canada. and Unfortunately, there's no easy solution and there's no uh, uh, mag- magic bullet, really. But there's a number of things we can do. Uh, the first one uh, seems that the first strategy seems to be the most successful one is to invest in technology. And you're going to see that more and more businesses are going to invest in technology and automation to replace, to replace their need for workers. So it's not possible to always do that. For example, you cannot replace a truck driver by a, a robot, at mm-hmm. least not, not for now. Yeah. But in many sectors, you can actually uh, adapt technology and that would reduce the need for workers. But it's not always possible. Another way of dealing with that is uh, to uh, revise your total compensation that you offer to your employees. During the pandemic, behavior changed. People, they value more flexible hours. They value more the fact that they can work from few days a week from home. So it's important for employers to respond to this need. And finally, we find in our research that businesses who have a formal hiring process, they do better. In many cases, it's still the owner who is looking to his network uh, to find new employees. And this doesn't work anymore because everybody is looking for talent. So you have to be a bit more structured, a bit more organized. You have to market your business as a good employer. You have to market your, your talent you're looking for on a social network. So you have to be a bit more structured to hire people. Pierre, can we even you know compare this to previous times in history in the business world or even in the economy? In that, you know, we're having to adapt as employees, but these employers really have to change the way they do business. And I'm thinking of one example: how a grocery store might have less cashiers, but they take uh, you know those employees that were cashiers before and have them loading up carts to bring groceries for you know curbside pickup. It's a very interesting time. Can we you know compare it to any other time in our history? No, not really, actually, because, you know, in Canada, we used to have a lot of uh, young people, uh, and that was, you know, our growth was uh, really relied on the fact that a lot of people came to the job market. We remember the baby boomers when they were younger. There was a large amount of them. Now, for the first time in our history, there's actually more people leaving the workforce than people who are entering the workforce. We never saw that before. So this is a new challenge for businesses. And like you said, we'll have to look at this differently because the recipe we had in the past is not going to work in the future. Interesting discussion for sure. And I I don't think there's any quick fix to it. As you say, Pierre, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your perspective this morning. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Pierre Clouroux is the chief economist for the Business Development Bank of Canada. Well, and what's interesting to me with, you know, one of my children in high school is looking ahead of these careers. And I would think that the career path may have taken a bit of a, uh, maybe not a 180, but it might be veering a little differently than it was even a few years ago. Because some of these jobs, I gave the example of the grocery store, for example, where there's still the jobs, but you might be loading carts and fulfilling Doing orders for the career. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, how many tech jobs or jobs that we use apps for, you know, like the Uber Eats and these different jobs. I'm just giving examples. These examples um, have been pushed forward due to demand, whereas they were part of the economy 
things could be and you know you maybe your child in grade eight or grade nine i think it's grade nine they bring your kid to work day right that's what we were doing and now you know even a couple of years ago you might have brought your kid to the office and then you yourself have not been in the office for two years true enough and you might not be going back to the office so it, it even for these kids is the images of a you know mom or dad being an accountant that looks different yeah. so and when pierre mentions that the baby more, more people are leaving the opportunities. You got to look at this as good opportunities mm-hmm. for our young folks. And this especially too in this province, I don't know if you heard that report earlier this week that, you know, more people left Alberta than yeah, came in, we, which is the first time we've really seen that. And, you know, everybody's heading to BC. People are leaving our province instead yeah. of coming here. So, you know, uh, that also contributes to a shortage of workers, but also maybe contributes to advantages because there are more opportunities there for you, you available. It. So I guess it, the work is is out there for people if they want to work. And, and right now it's tough because I know there's still some people who are taking advantage of the government programs that were in place through the pandemic. Yeah, and you, I think you have to be super nimble. And I remember the broadcast industry is, is obviously a different animal, but I think you can draw the parallel in that when I was in school, I took copywriting. I was going to be, I was going to write commercials. That's what I was going to do. And yeah. now here I am talking with you. And I've interviewed movie stars across the globe mm-hmm. doing entertainment. I'm a meteorologist. I've got certification for that. I got my degree. I did that for 25. But I didn't have one straight path in mind. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I didn't embrace it at first. Like, well, well, it's going to be clear to me. I think that, you know, kids have to be ready to maybe not go with the exact straight line path you see, but more it's of a curve. now, isn't it? Could be the case. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.